0: banking crisis that is emerging today in 2023 we've seen the biggest bank run since the 1930s great depression we have cnbc removing the credit default swaps data off their website so of course I had to get Foss's opinion on all of that that is happening in the legacy traditional banking world. And we also talk about everything happening in the Bitcoin world. We discuss whether there is actually hash wars going on today in the Bitcoin space. And we look at when Bitcoin could transition to actually trade as a risk off asset. Okay. I really hope you enjoy this discussion with FOSS. Before we get into it, I want to quickly thank today's show sponsors, Swan Bitcoin, the Foundation Passport Hardware Wallet, and the Bitcoin Miami 2023 conference. You guys will hear more from the show sponsors later on into today's episode. But with all that said, let's get straight into this chat with the one and the only Greg FOSS. So welcome back to the Money Matters podcast. Today, I've got a fan favorite back on the podcast with me for our third discussion, Greg FOSS. Welcome to the pod. Wow. Number three, eh? Well, happy to be here, Luke. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you. You're so gracious with your time. So once again, thank you for that. And I want to start our discussion somewhere a little bit different. Most people would be expecting, okay, the banking system's melting down. Luke and Foss probably going to be talking about credit default swaps and things like that. But I want to actually start our conversation in a different direction. I'm going to share my screen, show you a graph of the Bitcoin hash rate uh, because it has been going absolutely parabolic. Uh, Foss, what's your thoughts on the parabolic Bitcoin hash rate?
1: Not being an expert in the area, um, I have a few, well, let's put it this way. There are a few possible um, uh, scenarios that a hash rate is increasing, including the one where Peter McCormick just mentioned it, uh, is our, our nation states mining Bitcoin. And a probabilities guy in me would say hundred percent, there is a nation state somewhere, but it may not be a big one. Um, And, you know, we probably know that El Salvador is doing it on a, on a fairly small scale. Uh, But, but let's focus on what the possibilities are. And when you're at 400 X a hash a second and the price of Bitcoin, uh, you know, has performed, but it certainly hasn't, Gone parabolic like the hash rate, you start to ask yourself these questions, which would make it uh, a possibility or a, a you know a probability analysis. And I'm, you know, I don't think it's greater. And when I say a nation state, I mean let's talk the real nation states that are not the friends of the United States, who are in the news about talking about the demise of the American dollar. So you either think China or you think Russia. And I would say the probability is somewhere greater than 20% that they are, but less than, I don't know why, I'll just throw another number, less than 40%. So somewhere in that range. Uh, Why would they do it? Well, firstly, because it would be strategically uh, smart from a financial perspective. And then secondly, if you have an abundance of energy, that essentially you can argue. Now, the truth is it's not, but you can argue that the energy costs are almost free. And when you have almost free energy costs, whether it's in the case of a, an electric utility that otherwise would have to uh, you know, pay another nation, thats I'm, I'm using Canada in that case, because Canada does actually have to pay the United States, not sell power cheaply, but actually has to pay the United States to take our power at times. You could argue, well, it would certainly make sense to uh, mine Bitcoin with that, Wasted energy. Um, you could look at flare gas. You could look at things like, well, we've developed all this uh, infrastructure in oil and gas, and uh, you know there there are ways to make it appear like it's a zero cost. Uh, Luke, I would suggest that all of these cases make it uh, somewhat attractive to consider that. So you put a probability on that, but then you bring the Oh, and uh, just within the last 12 months, I had my reserve asset, speaking of Russia here, I had my U.S. Treasury bonds frozen. Well, I mean, you know, don't uh, tell me that that's not a concern. If you're trying to manage your uh, your risk profile, that uh, your uh, reserves were frozen. So the betting man in me would say, yes, it's a greater than 0% chance. How much money would I put on it? Uh, if you gave me five to one odds, I would probably take that bet, meaning I'll bet one dollar that they are and you pay me five dollars if we prove that they are. And that's that's the bet I would make. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, everything's a probability. Um, yeah, and obviously I think we, our first discussion was in October, 2021. I went back and I checked the tapes and then I think you said, look, it would be absolutely ridiculous if Putin wasn't at least considering his yeah. probabilities of mining Bitcoin. And of course we know what happened in 2022. Putin's come out and said, look, I'd, I'd accept your Bitcoin for, for my natural gas. Um, so yeah. yeah, it's, it's really interesting how things have developed Um how things do are li- happening fast they had said it's one of my taglines risk happens fast the world
1: is changing quicker than it ever has
0: yeah it definitely is um another one of your taglines or another one of the things you're a little bit uh, more famous for talking about i suppose would be credit default swaps and I shoot uh, you over a little tweet this morning, and it looks as if uh, CNBC has actually delisted oh, yeah. the credit yeah. default swaps for some of the biggest banks in America. So I think it was Bank of America. I think it was JP Morgan. There was a couple of other in there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, what do you read into that, Foss? Well, luckily, I never took uh my news
1: or my credit default swap feeds from CNBC so it wouldn't have impacted me I uh you know would always get them off of Bloomberg and uh what's called runs from from the dealer community so you know Goldman Sachs would send out their runs on CDS on on various uh things but uh yeah that's a compilation of different uh sources of uh of information uh, to to put out that feed and I have to be very honest. I think that uh, firstly, let me say this, I'm extremely proud that the world actually even knows what a credit default swap is now, okay? Because not because of me, but I just, you know, having spent my life in credit, uh, this is something that I only learned, yeah, because they've only existed since, uh, I'm gonna guess they've only existed since about 2005, uh, probably even no, maybe the year 2002, And they were developed by uh, Blythe Mathers, a very smart lady at J.P. Morgan. Uh, Back in, you know, around the early 2000s, and uh, they were a method of uh, trading risk uh, amongst uh, with a credit view where you didn't actually have to borrow the bond. Let's say you wanted to short a credit. Luke, uh, when you short a credit, you actually have to borrow the bond. Whereas a CDS, uh, you just say, hey you're my counterparty, I'm going to bet on the default probability of the, uh, of, of the uh, reference asset, uh, whether it's, you know, XYZ company or XYZ state or XYZ country, but you don't actually have to borrow anything. It it provides a much more frictionless uh, uh, ability to, to take a wager and, and perhaps hedge um, uh, credit default uh, exposure. So, you know, this CDS market is absolutely played by the big boys. Uh, You you uh, sent around a tweet where some equity knucklehead says something like, oh, it's not liquid. Like, here's the problem. Everyone listens to these equity guys on credit. They don't know shit about fuck, okay? These guys are so damn misinformed, and they make a statement like, oh, CDS isn't liquid. If you actually understood the volumes that trade on CDS versus the appearance of liquidity of volume trading on a stock but then you do the market cap of the debt the value of the debt that's traded versus the market cap of the stock that's actually traded you know in most cases it's not even close but you have these equity guys opining on uh, stuff they have no idea what they're doing but credit runs the world so firstly i'm very happy everyone's starting to learn Because my thesis is uh, Bitcoin's actually a credit default swap on a basket of fiat currencies, which means you own insurance on the the demise of of that basket or components of that basket. And it's a beautiful instrument because Bitcoin doesn't have any counterparty risk. It's like just this infinite or perpetual insurance contract with no uh, counterparty risk. So I love the name CDS. I've spent my life in, in, in the credit markets. I believe it's pure signal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reality is, why did CNBC potentially, why did they stop? Well, because all these equity guys are finally realizing that CDS leads to stock price correlation, meaning when the spread widens, the stock price goes down. They don't want people knowing uh that you know oh my goodness the cds or the credit default swap cds credit default swap spread so the the premium it's widening on bank of america which means the stock price maybe should be going down and they don't want to to allow people to have that information because they want to have that bid in the market so people can stuff that bid uh you know the the irresponsible or uneducated bid and that's largely what equity guys are okay there's so many fools in equities it's just not funny how stupid the money that is participating in the equity square usually is led by this the fool cheerleader of them all Jim Cramer right on CNBC (laughs) saying shit like this bank is a fortress he doesn't have the first clue about how to analyze the true risk in the balance sheet of a bank and he goes on Oh, well, we need to uh, support this bank. Uh, So I'm going to make a statement like I actually know something. So maybe, Luke, maybe they took off that feed just because of that. Is there a conspiracy theorist in me that could believe it? Oh, yeah. Does it make my life any different? No. I promise you, when you have a Bloomberg machine, you pay to get this information because this is the information that makes the world work, you know?
0: yeah exactly right um you bring up a really interesting point there about jim kramer and i'm actually going to share my screen again because i was going to show you uh, a clip from a video that i wanted your opinion from and real problem with credit suites which is the the analog is they never made any money
1: deutsche bank is actually very profitable so let's just let's start there why
0: bail out a bank that is just a chronic loser versus a bank that's doing well credit Credit Suisse looks very shaky which is something you've been tweeting about a lot so yeah. maybe this is a good point to get into our discussion about macro what's your thoughts about Credit Suisse and then maybe we can get into Deutsche Bank Yeah let's start
1: with Credit Suisse so uh firstly Credit Suisse uh was rescued okay and uh by the way it was rescued using some nefarious uh uh instruments or or basically um disadvantaging some instruments called AT1 bonds or alternative tier one bonds, otherwise known as COCOs, which are contingent convertible bonds that qualify as alternative tier one capital, which means tier one capital in the BIS banking system is predominantly equity. Okay. Uh, Why? Well, because equity is really the only thing that truly absorbs risk on a bank. You can't absorb risk using subordinate debt because subordinate debt adds to the risk, meaning, you know, if you have tier two capital, which is subordinate debt, don't tell me that that's a form of risk absorbing. No, no. Those bonds themselves are a liability, whereas equities, okay, they are the pure risk absorbing component of the capital structure. So the, the guys needed to raise, uh, raise more capital for the banking system because everybody knows the banks are undercapitalized. So they dreamt up this gimmick called AT1 or alternative tier one bonds. And in the case of uh, Credit Suisse, there was 17 billion face value of these bonds that got written off at zero while they still rescued $3 billion worth of the common stock. Okay. Now, at least they should have been treated pari passu. There's no way you can convince me that the bond should have been treated as a disadvantage to the equity. Maybe you can you, you treat them equally, but normally bonds have a prior claim on restructuring. And in this case, in this Credit Suisse restructuring, they didn't, they got a zero. 17 billion of it written down to zero, whereas the equity still had a $3 billion uh, market value in order to get the merger with UBS done. Okay, why did the equity still have market cap or market value? probably because most of the bonuses at CSFB or Credit Suisse were going to be paid out in equity and they didn't want it to be worth zero. Secondly, just because they had to get something done at over a weekend, which is typical, right? Uh, and, and they were able to zero out the bonds. And these bonds, uh, they cost a lot of people money, including PIMCO, uh, Pacific Investment Management Company based in L.A., lost $800 million of face value on these bonds. And who are the people that bear the brunt of that? Well, the pensioners that have their money in PIMCO. Uh, so let's make sure we we understand what really happened here. It was a gimmick accounting uh, or a gimmick instrument that got zeroed out and rewrote the rules of finance and gets glossed over by the uh, regulators as oh well they were designed to do that that's bullshit it wasn't designed to do that okay now who's the biggest issuer of at1 bonds in the world deutsche bank oh well you better start worrying then if you have provided capital to deutsche bank which by the way they might be profitable but they are not well capitalized so let's go back to idiot jim cramer what he said yes they can be profitable it doesn't mean they're well capitalized just because you can run a profitable business, in air quotes, doesn't mean you're properly marking to market all the assets on your balance sheet, particularly when you have something like sixty-six zero trillion trillion of derivatives. Now, just give me a full stop. Kramer has no clue how to actually mark to market those derivatives. He has no clue how to properly mark to market the exposure on Deutsche Bank's balance sheet, but he comes out and says some stupid statement about profitability. Banks don't actually, they manage their profitability, Luke. It's all about how much loan loss reserves they have to write down each quarter and that's managing their profitability. So Kramer once again shows his absolute misunderstanding of how banks work. I wouldn't listen to that man about, very much when it comes to credit because he's never spent any time in the credit markets. He's just a voice box for equity. And now remember just for your listeners, equity ranks subordinate to bonds in a capital structure. Okay. If you don't know, if you're an equity investor and you don't know what the the debt investors are saying about the company in terms of its credit quality and it's uh uh, you know, it's, it's uh sustainability you're investing blind. You, you, you really shouldn't be investing on behalf of clients cause you don't know what you're doing. And I always say, always watch the equity, uh, excuse me, always watch the credit and what can credit guys do? Well, since these guys have a prior claim, they can short the shit out of this thing to protect and hedge their exposure up here. And that's frequently what happens. So when credit default spreads widen, one of the hedges is, you can go into the publicly traded equity markets and short that stock as a hedge against your default risk. Happens all the time. correlation, it's the same capital structure. You're formulating an enterprise value based on the same cash flows. And you know there was an interesting thing that happened, not just with the AT1 bonds, but then Deutsche Bank went out and repurchased some debt, and it caused an open leg on. Uh, and we talked about that in that in that uh, I, I I can't call it an argument, but on that uh, podcast that uh, spaces that you you notice what I said to the guy wrong wrong wrong. Basically, the reality is that open leg caused a naked position where the guys had to go out and reach for default protection because by buying back the debt, the bank had exposed these credit default swap sellers to an open leg. And we could get into the technicalities. We don't have to. The point is this is a very complex capital structure arbitrage thing that most people don't understand. And sometimes there's unintended consequences, including when the bank thinks they're doing a good thing. By buying back the debt, they actually are making people reach for default protection to cover their, they had sold protection. Now they have to buy it back. Okay. And it gaps wider. And then everyone's like, oh my gosh, what's going on with Deutsche Bank? So very, very smart players, but hedged and wedged,
0: lots of different uh, uh, moving parts. Now, I wanted to quickly interrupt today's chat with Greg Foss to let you know about our amazing show sponsors. If you are in the market looking to purchase a little bit more insurance on the Fiat Legacy Financial System, I would love to point you towards Swan Bitcoin. They're a great Bitcoin-only educational company and they will also help you buy Bitcoin easily and they're gonna give you $10 of free Bitcoin. If you sign up using the link in the description of today's video, we're thrilled to be partnering up with Swan Bitcoin. They're a great company, so definitely check amount. And once you've bought your Bitcoin, if you're looking for somewhere to put that Bitcoin in a safe place, we recommend you check out the Foundation Passport Hardware Wallet. It's one of the best hardware wallets there is in the space. It's a high-end product, visually very appealing, and it has great QR code functionality, which makes sending and receiving Bitcoin an absolute walk in the park. So if you want $10 of that puppy, you can use promo code BEAST. And last, but not least, let's hear from our final show sponsor today. That is, of course, the Bitcoin Miami 2023. Three conference you guys can get 10% off your tickets if you use promo code coinbeast again links to all the show sponsors are in the description of today's video let's get back into this discussion with the one and the only greg foss yeah there is a lot going on right now Foss, and i'd love to get into the technicals maybe a little bit later on in the pod sure. but maybe first i would love to get uh, your high level synopsis of what's gone on in the past three to four months. Like, you probably got lots of calls from just everyday Joe and James who might not be following all this nerdy macroeconomic stuff like us. And how would you explain what's been going on over the past couple of months? We've seen Silicon Valley yeah. Bank go down. Yeah. Uh, biggest bank run in eighty years. Some people are calling it. What do you say is like the high-level problem, or what's happening? What What are we seeing right now? Yeah, let's just summarize it very simply
1: by saying: over the last forty years, every successive bank crisis has been kicked up a notch, where it's the nations that bail out the system, but they don't solve the system. The leverage in the banking system continues at irresponsibly high levels. And the socialization of the losses happens at the sovereign debt level. So it's basically these too big to fail institutions get bailed out by the country, right? So there were four or five crises. I mean, I always start with Latin American debt and long-term capital management, then the great financial crisis, then COVID. Now the, um, the bank runs of 2023. But listen, this is a slow motion car crash, okay? I've been calling for... Credit Suisse to be in financial distress for about 3 years and I happened to get lucky and call it uh you know last summer when I say lucky I just noted that that the uh the CDS spreads on Credit Suisse had surpassed their GFC or great financial crisis highs which means the market's implying a higher level of distress than they ever have despite all of these other uh uh Events they've been through. And why is that? Well, look, in the case of CSF or Credit Suisse, they had this thing called Archigos. You guys may have remembered that where they had a prime broker blow up and they lost like $10 billion. And then Green Hill Capital, another one. In combination, they had lost about $20 billion in, in various stupid risk management, which only left them with a market cap of under $10 billion. That's not a lot of protection on a bank that runs the levels of risk it did. So it was just a probability weighted scenario. But the crap hit the fan because of a global contagion event that by and large was started in the USA. But it doesn't matter. Banking is banking, Luke. All of these banks are levered 20 to 25 times to their equity capital base, which is another way of saying if their loan book loses 4% of its value, The equities vaporized.
0: 4%
1: is not a big margin of error to play with. So the business of banking caught up with these knuckleheads that had made bad, duration matched. Uh, They bought long term treasury bonds. Now, everyone always thinks of uh, the capital of a bank and the big risk factor of a bank is credit risk, which is true. Except recently it turned out to be interest rate risk because for the last 40 years, interest rates have been going down. And when interest rates go down, bond prices go up, which means largely the banks were sitting on something called unrecognized gains. Well, as soon as interest rates turn around because the Fed starts pushing interest rates up, these gains turn into losses. And once they're losses, if they have to crystallize those losses because of a run on the bank, well, that's when things get ugly. So CSFB, I call it CSFB, stands for Credit Suisse First Boston, but they paired off the First Boston side um, Credit Suisse got caught up in this contagion event, but look, it was bound to happen because they were over levered under capitalized to begin with. And we saw the result. So what is another one to fall? Look, Jim Cramer. I'm sorry, sir, but Deutsche Bank is just as poorly capitalized on a relative basis as Credit Suisse was.
0: Yeah. I think, I think that's a great point. You raised uh, lots of good ones there Foss, but I I remember I was going to bring up this tweet in our discussion at some stage, you were talking about credit default swaps and you say, uh, you know, everyone in the world right now is a credit default swap junkie. I'm proud of every single one of you credit default swaps run the world. Kramer runs the urinals. So yeah. first, what did you mean by that one there? Well, again, it's all credit. And then Kramer should be uh,
1: handing out towels in the public restroom, right? Because he's just a total fucking buffoon. I have mm-hmm. to say it. He's just a mouthpiece for the Fiat Ponzi. Uh, he may well know that he's, you know, giving horrible advice, but my my spider senses tell me, no, he's just a stupid, mm-hmm. uh, you know, does about two minutes of due diligence and bases his research off of Nothing more than, you know, well, I shop at Bed Bath & Beyond. It's got to be a good store without even doing the uh, the analysis,
0: right? No, I couldn't agree more. Uh, obviously, I, th- I did a video a little while ago on Silicon Valley Bank, and I found receipts of him shilling that bank as oh, well yeah. just before it's yeah. bankruptcy. Yeah. He is the perfect counter indicator. Most of the time. But the bigger problem is,
1: I mean, like, we can joke about that, Luke, but the reality is people lose real money, right? Mm. And people lose savings. And... And that's the biggest problem I have with it. I have no problem uh, if he firmly believes in a position and he's done the research on it, okay, that's fine. But for him, most of the time, it's nothing more, again, than two minutes of due diligence and no math to back it up. Just, uh, oh, my friends all say, you know, that Deutsche Bank is fine. or uh, It's just very disappointing from a risk manager perspective.
0: Exactly. You've got to have the receipts. That's something uh, Mark Moss taught me uh, in the years that I was working for him. Always bring the receipts and gets me into something else. I want to bring up Foss Uh, on a recent podcast. I don't remember which one you said that you think the commercial uh, real estate mortgage-backed securities could be in a lot of stress and maybe even more stress than the mortgage-backed security market of 08. So I want to bring up a chart here that you shared a link to on your Twitter. You shared a link to this Wall Street Journal uh, article and it's got this really great chart looking at uh, the amount of losses. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It's it's, it's mind-boggling. This is a must-read chart included in there. Excuse me, a must-read article. There's 12 different Mm -hmm. charts, but one of the charts that struck me was certainly this... um, uh, the commercial real estate exposure and the losses on commercial real estate.
0: Yeah. So, what's your thoughts on commercial real estate well, right now? Are they?
1: Yeah. Well, let's just look at it from a you know five thousand foot view. I mean, COVID caused a lot of people not to have to go to the office. They've realized that they don't want to go to the office. If you can work from home, it's more fun than going to the office. Which means there's a lot of office space. I think on one of the charts it shows a twenty percent vacancy rate. Okay. vacancy rate, which means you don't need as much uh, office uh, space as you used to, not to mention there's new supply that's come on to the market. And most importantly, and here's something that flies under most people's radars, the valuation metrics of commercial real estate have to go down because interest rates in general have gone up. So there's a thing called the cap rate, which is used to value the cash flows of a commercial real estate project when that cap rate increases the value of that project goes down which is also another way of saying the loan to value ratio has probably gone higher which means if you lent originally at 70% loan to value now you're probably sitting at 100% loan to value well guess who owns the guess who owns the property at 100% loan to value the bank the guy that Develop the property. He's like, okay, here are the keys. Thanks for lending me money. It's stupid turnips. And now I'm passing the the, the keys over to you. Now you need to manage the the risk. And so those are, you know, it's a bit of the perfect storm. And by the way, where does all commercial real estate exposure live in the United States anyway, on the on the regional and super regional balance banks balance sheets, which is just another, you know, going to add fuel to the fire of their undercapitalization.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, I think keeping your eyes peeled on commercial real estate uh, is a big one. Like you say, the the change in trends of where people are working these days, it, it's enormous. There, there's so many people not going back to the office. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so See, yeah, I think that's a great one to point out. Um, I think we've just about covered everything in the macro space Um, I I wanted to uh, hit with you, Foss. Let's maybe transition a little bit more into the Bitcoin space. So something else that you're uh, famous for, something that you always beat the drum about is Bitcoin should be traded as a risk-off asset um bloomberg last year came out with an article saying hey look there's a chance bitcoin could be traded as a risk-off asset by the end of 2022 and now i've kind of i might throw up a chart for the for the listeners later but bitcoin's up like 75 percent for 2023 meanwhile equities are up like two three four percent they're hardly moving is this the beginning of bitcoin becoming a risk off trade or is it a little bit further down the line Uh i Unable to comment for sure,
1: but I can just tell you since I've been involved in Bitcoin, I've always considered it my insurance policy. Mm -hmm. So therefore it is risk off for me, like insurance is your risk off uh, uh, backstop, right? Um, And more importantly, when you can see a forest fire coming, you don't sell your fire insurance on your house because it's gotten more valuable. There's a reason. So that's another reason that you always hold insurance. You don't trade your insurance so much. Um, has this is this the thing that tipped the uh uh in favor of the risk on versus risk off? Potentially, but don't forget this is what Bitcoin was designed for. Bitcoin was designed in the Great Financial Crisis of two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, to be an alternative to the banking system. Well. Right now, the banking system is not doing well. And it's not surprising that people are making, uh, you know, blazing a trail to get some exposure to Bitcoin. So it's doing what I think it should do in a time when not just you can see the beauty of Bitcoin, you can see the failures and the Fiat Ponzi nature of the banking system. Because the banks are basically the transfer mechanism for the Fiat Ponzi. They're the things that are all levered. And when you lose confidence in that transfer mechanism, you need to find an alternative, which is Bitcoin. So I, I hope that you can appreciate that there's at least some people on the margin that are doing that trade. Um, does it mean forever it'll be traded? It's a process, Luke. I think education and everything is uh, is paramount. Uh, I'll tell you one thing for sure. From my direct messages and I've never seen the amount of incoming concern over the balance, the banks as I'm seeing right now. And this is including during the great financial crisis, okay? Now people are far more aware of the potential because they remember what happened the last time. So incoming concern, Twitter, even on CNBC. The fact that they stopped publishing credit default swaps on the financial institutions, hmm, Let's just think about that for a sec. So I think the anecdotal evidence is pretty clear. Uh, Does it mean it won't flip back? No, come on. It's finally growing into an asset where, you know, people can take a view and everything. And it's getting big. It's over $500 billion. That's finally uh, the size of an asset class where the big boys can really start sinking their teeth into it. I think that Bitcoin will be a $10 trillion asset before long. And at $10 trillion, you can do the math, but that's sort of like somewhere around $500,000 US dollars per Bitcoin. Uh, come back and we'll talk then and we'll really see how the, how the market's treating it as a risk on or risk off asset.
0: Couldn't agree more to be the elephant in the room if it gets to be a $10 trillion asset. Yeah, but it'll still pale. Let's just make sure that we understand the total
1: global financial assets Total global financial assets, $900 trillion. So even if Bitcoin got to 10, that's still 90th. Only one ninetieth, Just over 1% of all financial assets in the world. It's still pretty small, even though it sounds big, right?
0: Still a lot of gains out there, even at a $10 trillion market cap, Foss. I couldn't agree more. There's one more question about Bitcoin I wanted to ask you. All right. Well, I have one for you. Yeah, um, hit me.
1: I want to make sure, because uh, we were talking about that Wall Street Journal article, mm. and uh, I'm actually amazed that that article didn't cause more consternation today on the open in bank stocks. I I did tweet out one thought today that 10 years ago or 15 years ago, that would have caused bank stocks to be down another 10 to 15 percent, just my estimation, mm. so I mean, either people are not subscribing to the Wall Street Journal (laughs) as much as they used to, or they think that the worst has passed. By the way, I don't even think we're into the second inning yet. So just be real careful out there. Manage risk appropriately, people. Uh, The next shoe to fall is credit. This has all been driven by interest rate risk. And now we're going to get the credit uh, concerns that uh, will hit the banks in a position that they're already reeling from losses on the interest rate mismanagement, right? So just be careful. Uh, I suggest people stay close to home on their position sizes and uh, true risk profile, and then just keep stacking sats because over time, we know that uh, dollar cost averaging is the best way to get your exposure to Bitcoin. And uh, I do believe that it is working as intended. It is insurance on the Fiat Ponzi.
0: That's a great point you bring up about uh, dollar cost averaging there. Our good friend, uh, the young whiz kid, Dylan LeClaire, put out a pretty interesting tweet the other day. He showed that if you were dollar cost averaging from the uh, 2021. Yeah, yeah, 69,000. Yeah, he showed that if you've been dollar cost averaging from the very top of Bitcoin all the way down, you would actually be in profit today despite the price of Bitcoin right around break down. even.
1: Yeah, right around break yeah. even, and that's it's beautiful. And that just shows the power of uh, of dollar cost averaging. I real, I I agree.
0: Yeah, even on the worst possible time, no, frame no, for I get Bitcoin. it. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 it's, it's perfect. Beautiful. Yeah, that's no, it really good. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, Dylan yeah. does some great work. I like the young kids in this square, including you, obviously, but oh, uh, I'm not yeah. that young. <laughs> Well, you're you're not that old either. I'm still twice your age. Let's make uh let's make sure that uh that we put things relative. So
0: hey, I probably feel older than you right now. The missus is calling me an old man because I have sciatic pain. So I'm Ooh, uh, I'm hobbling right. around the house like a little bit of a cripple, well, but I'm feeling it. Go,
1: go yeah, go and make uh go and make amends, get some uh, proper uh, stretching exercises or something <laughs> or muscle. I think you have to do some muscle exercises for your sciatica, right?
0: Yeah, I need to put on some more beef. I'm a little bit skinny. Uh, <laughs> boss, speaking of uh, the gym, I want to transition the conversation into weather a little bit. And I have a couple of uh, final rapid fire questions for you. Would you prefer to be on the ski slopes uh, in Canada or would you prefer to be living on the beach oh, in El Salvador? Wow.
1: Damn, I love both of them. I'm a skier and a surfer. I'm not as good a surfer. Oh, let's be careful. I uh, I like stand up paddle boarding now because I'm too fat to get up off of a surfboard. <laughs> so I'm an okay stand up paddle boarder. Um, but compared to skiing, I mean, I've been, you know, it's much easier to ski in Canada than it is surf. So um, I, I enjoy both sports and I guess I would just say, I'd love to live in California because you can basically do both um, a little more difficult to do, uh, to do it uh, skiing in El Salvador or surfing in Canada. Uh, That being said, uh, yeah, got to make time for both of them, Um, both great sports.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, a lot of people always ask me because uh, I have that bogan-looking Australian haircuts. everybody assumes I'm a surfer. They always <laughs> ask me first question: uh, Do you surf? Uh-huh. You're from Australia? I'm like, uh, I prefer to just stand up on the paddleboard. I'm like, you oh, boss. So yeah, surfing's yeah, yeah. a bit difficult. Well, no, but
1: stand up paddle surfing is amazing. Like, because mm. you get you you get a you you get it in a standing start, and then you can peel down the wave. You know, it's 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 really fun.
0: No, it is. It's great fun. Uh, another little question i got for you you do a lot of travels um i've seen you all over america i missed you in el salvador recently at that conference you were speaking at i wish what's your favorite country outside of canada to travel to um well my
1: favorite country still is united states only because Mm. i have to be honest um look if the usa goes down the world is absolutely screwed Mm. so i need the usa to to get their acting gear uh I I happen to own a couple of properties in the USA. Um, They are on beaches, uh, both on the East Coast, but, uh, uh, you know, it's been a uh, uh, very near and dear to my heart for many, many years uh, in the USA. Uh, But, you know, I did just come back from El Salvador. I'd never been there before, although I'd been to Costa Rica four times and I see the countries very similarly geographically. Mm -hmm. But then an unbelievable country I went to, or a region, Madeira, with Mm -hmm. uh, a bunch of Bitcoiners. You talk about a beautiful, that's the, uh, it's Hawaii in the Atlantic Ocean. It's similar. It's a volcanic uh, uh, island and uh, just absolutely gorgeous with great surfing, great people, great food, great weather. And it's only two hours off the coast of Portugal. Uh, So, you know, you're sort of close to some pretty cool parts of the world, even though Europe is basically a dumpster fire, right? Like, I mean, uh, uh, in terms of them managing their social, uh, uh,
0: you know, and economic policies. Yeah. Europe, so. It's,
1: it's a little, it's a little, uh, that, well, anyway, it's unfortunate they haven't done their mathematics. So, uh, but okay. So Madeira, El Salvador, but let's just go to some old places. Like I went to Edinburgh this year with, uh, Jeff Booth. Uh, I went to, Uh, Bulgaria. We traveled around Bulgaria. My God, what a beautiful country. All right. Mm. Um, Just the history in Bulgaria. You have no idea how cool it is. And a lot of really, really cool Bitcoiners there. I got to get to Australia. We've had a a number of invites to get there. That's pretty far uh, Mm. on the other side of the world. But man, it sounds like a great country. So that'll be on the to-do list. Uh, But yeah, just enjoying meeting Bitcoiners all across the world. Generally, well, not just generally, like I can say with a high degree of confidence that there's some of the best people in the world I've ever met.
0: I couldn't agree more, brother. Uh, The Bitcoin community is a really fun community to just be interacting with. Uh, Which of those countries do you think you found the most vibrant uh, Bitcoin scene in terms of maybe adoption or just Bitcoin has been there? Oh, it has it like
1: hands down El Salvador. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, it's just unbelievable, you know, like you can bitcoin beach and uh you know roman martinez and the guys at bitcoin beach and what they're doing there is just off the charts but then you also have the endorsement of a, a quite a uh a eclectic uh leader right like bukele is like he's fuck he's the balls man like he mm-hmm. he really is he doesn't he 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 fights hard he he'd be he'd be an amazing hockey player all right like you'd yeah. want him on your team as a hockey player there's no questions so um yeah there's but then y- y- you see relative levels of that um in different places but let's go back to the people the people are what make it so then if you have these people everywhere in the world you know that they're going to um they're going to uh come around you know like the countries are going to
0: come around exactly uh yeah bukele's really uh very popular everywhere in latin america i was at a uh local uh 7-eleven equivalent here in Colombia, and i saw a big picture of uh naib bukele yeah yeah he was smiling on the front cover of one of their local magazines and i asked the missus can you translate that for me i'm a little bit of a gringo i don't speak that Uh much spanish and she said yeah they're saying really nice things about it oh nice nice that's very interesting um yeah We've been going for about an hour, my friend. I want to be respectful okay. of your time. Um, you're doing all sorts of podcast appearances. I know you've got another one later this afternoon. Uh-huh. Uh, you're speaking at all sorts of different conferences. Is there anything else you're doing in the Bitcoin space um, at the moment? Yeah, you know, I'm uh, I'm proud to be part of a...
1: Uh, well, including with Mark Moss, your old business partner, uh, we are launching uh, a Bitcoin opportunities fund. So to support the Bitcoin ecosystem with new investment or trade existing investments that might've been knocked down in value. So let's say some distressed Bitcoin mining opportunities, or here's the one that I get so excited about, or just short the TradFi space. Like, mm-hmm. look, I w- I've i been short Western Union uh, and I will be short Western Union for the end of time. Uh, that's a, a trade that, you know, if you want to express that type of uh, a viewpoint, uh, you can do it in this fund, but this fund is okay. So there's uh, the two most important people, uh, James Lavish who, have you had James on your show? Okay. Uh, you met James when we were down in uh, San Clemente with, uh, with Mark. So this is where we had the Genesis of that idea was when you were out out to, uh, out at lunch with myself and Mark and, and James. Uh, so James Lavish portfolio manager, David Foley portfolio manager, James is based in LA or uh, sorry, Las Vegas, uh, David in Boston. Uh, and David Foley is currently a business partner with Larry Lapard, who's just another great Bitcoiner, you know, 30 year plus veteran of the financial markets. So you have the two portfolio managers, and then we have four advisors of which I'm one. Mark Moss is another advisor, Larry Lapard, and then Corey Clipston from uh, Swan Bitcoin. So you can think of those, uh, as, as the group of, uh, you know, six, uh, fairly experienced guys, uh, from a financial risk management perspective, that want to do what we can to attract new capital, uh, bring a new dynamic. It's not uh, we're not aiming to outperform Bitcoin as much as provide a similar type of return with lower risk because we can take uh, short positions, we can trade volatility, we can do. Uh, lo- um, uh, uh, volatility management or option strategies on Bitcoin itself, and extract vol from the from the market that otherwise uh, people would have difficult uh, difficulty doing or managing. Uh, you know the ability to short uh, traditional finance uh, uh, legacy stocks. I mean, I can promise you we would have been short Credit Suisse. I can promise you there's other good short opportunities out there right now. So, <laughs> excuse me, that's uh, that's what the future holds for us. Um, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm bullish on the Bitcoin ecosystem and the reality is the ecosystem has been, uh, <clears throat> pulled down a little bit because of things like FTX, because of things like Terra Luna, because of things like, well, shit pointers, regulation, all the stuff that, you know. Is the ebb and flow that causes asset prices to change. We'd like to think we're in a position to manage that risk and uh, take advantage of some of the opportunities that the uh, markets are providing with us.
0: I love it. I'm really. Yeah. yeah, I'm really interested to see where that goes. Um, obviously, you're doing uh, so much for the space. Uh, I was going to show one of your tweets from 2022 calling out Credit Suisse and their uh, credit default swaps. You've been singing that alarm for many years. So, Foss, uh, where would you like to send the listeners? Um, if they've got any hate mail, where do they send that and where do they come <laughs> hear more about you?
1: Well, as always, send your hate mail to Luke, please. Uh, but no, I'll I'll try and respond to hate mail myself. I'm not saying I have all the answers. I like to say that all I have, all I bring to the table is 35 years of mistakes. But at least I've survived those mistakes, and you roll with the punches. And you're not a knucklehead like Peter Schiff. That's been wrong for the last 14 years on the greatest asset that's ever been invested in, in, invented, and he still sticks to his, you know, outdated philosophy and uh, thesis. Uh, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in the Bitcoin community, uh, on, uh, Twitter, uh, Foss, Greg Foss, so F-O-S-S-G-R-E-G-F-O-S-S. I mean, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, if you have more questions about the Bitcoin opportunities fund, I'm sure we could field those questions. Uh, but more than anything, I just, yeah, I like getting out and meeting the, uh, meeting the, the younger kids in this, uh, in this community. I will be at Bitcoin Miami. I'm going to be at Thank God for Bitcoin right before that. I know I'm going to Unconfiscatable, uh, which is a tone Vase conference in Las Vegas towards the end of the, you know, right around Christmas. I know there's a number one or two more. Oh, yeah, there's a Canadian Bitcoin conference, which I'm, uh, I'm excited about. Um, so, yeah, you know what? I mean, I really enjoy meeting everybody in the, uh, in the, in the uh, space, some really, really good Bitcoiners. Um, and I learn a lot too, right? Like, cause you know, I joke I'm 60 years old, but I'm really not that good at managing an iPhone, um, or technology. So, you know, you got to understand that there's, uh, you know, just because you have a lot of experience doesn't mean you're an expert in a new technology, which is a good stepping off point. Don't listen to Charlie Munger when it comes to Bitcoin. He doesn't understand technology. In fact, you know, they tell people they don't understand technology. So uh, just do your own research. Uh, understand that the only wrong allocation to Bitcoin is owning zero. Figure out how much you need, dollar cost average yourself to get yourself that exposure for the good of your kids and uh,
0: your kids' kids, right? Future generations. I think that's a brilliant note to end it on. Get off zero, and it's for the kids. Greg, right, thank brother. you for you, son. There you have it. That is my discussion with the one and the only Greg Foss. Okay, what do you guys think? Do you think the 2023 banking crisis could actually turn out to be worse than the 2008 GFC? Are we in the first innings of a coming wave of uh, central bank bankruptcies that's going to emerge all around the world? I don't know. Let me know your thoughts in the comments down below. And if you enjoyed this one, feel free to slap a like on it and make sure you subscribe to our channel so you're notified for our upcoming interviews. Doing those two things really does actually help push this content in front of more eyeballs over here on YouTube. And if you are enjoying this content over here on YouTube, make sure you give our amazing Bitcoin only show sponsors a little bit of love. Their help helps us improve the quality of content that we're pushing out over here on YouTube. So, with all that said, guys, I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Greg. If you made it this far into this one, I'll slap another two videos up on screen that I think you might enjoy. And with all that said, I'll see you guys in the next video.